Log Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome back to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. Uh, we're going to be joined by a very good friend of mine and special guest on the Coach's Corner panel. He and I are going to hold down the fort, as they say. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by award-winning architect Augustin Pisa, uh, also known as Augie. Uh, he's going to be joining me a little bit later on, and uh, he's got some interesting uh, things to talk about, some of the architectural uh, aspects of uh, the golf game. We'll talk about that and, and uh, of course, some of the accolades that he's received uh, as, again, he's become world-renowned in his uh, profession. So we'll talk to him a little bit later on in the broadcast. Um, but uh, glad to be back on the air. Obviously, I was off uh, actually for a couple of weeks. Uh, one week I was away on vacation. Another week I uh, had some other things going on. Uh, got back from Las Vegas. Uh, don't ask. Uh, don't tell, I think, is what they normally say. Whatever, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, I believe, so we'll just leave it there. Uh, but had a good time anyways. Obviously, had always have fun when I go there, And um, but uh, always very interesting. All right, I'm going to join uh, or bring out my very special guest here. Let me just tell you a little bit about him. Uh, my good friend John Decker, he is the Director of Instruction at the Medallion Club in Columbus, Ohio. He's also a senior editor and a top 25 instructor at Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, he was named in 2015 the Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year. And he authored the book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying the Game Through God. Uh, sorry, Glorifying God Through the Game, sorry, uh, which also includes a Bible study. And you can also uh, uh, get him as a public speaker in your area if you want. So please welcome my very special guest, uh, John Decker. Good evening, John, and welcome. Thank you, Ted, for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to it. Not a problem. I think I experienced a little dyslexia there and reading out the name of the book. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I apologize. Yeah, golf is my life, glorifying God through the game. Let me repeat that just so everybody gets it. Um, so always glad to have you on here. And, you know, it's it's been interesting because you and I were just talking a few minutes uh, about really everybody just being so busy. Um, you know, obviously, we just came out of a, a pandemic. We're still scratching a little bit here and there. Uh, some folks uh, dealing with it. But uh, golf is really... I guess experienced a, a shot in the arm. I mean, pardon the pun, but a real boost over the last couple of years, and especially this year, it just seems everybody is very well entrenched. And I just wanted, before we get into tonight's discussion, just sort of get your thoughts and view on that as well. Uh, you're obviously seeing a, a probably a pretty big uptick uh, from previous seasons. Uh, as a result, people are just itching to get out. What are your What are your thoughts here? Absolutely. Um, you know the the. The last year was a record year 
for, for most uh, golf facilities in the United States and I'm sure around the world. And I know this year um, we're on pace. I'm a little bit down compared to last year, but quite frankly, it's because I'm, I've chosen to take more time off because I just can't go at a hundred miles an hour for 12 months out of the year. So I took some time off this winter. Um, and, and so that's going to bring my numbers down a little bit, but I'm making up for it now as we get into what I call my harvest season, which is, uh, for me, it's <laughs> in here in, in Ohio where it's, uh, you know, May through September is, and early October is when you really do the majority of your teaching, uh, like most, most clubs around the northern parts of the United States. So, um, we're in the harvest season, as they say. And so, um, but I'm noticing as well, like all the people who are, Coming up, like my neighbor, I pulled in t- tonight when I came home, and my neighbor said, hey, started talking to me about the British Open, and um, and mm-hmm. I don't really know how much of a golfer he is, but the British Open was so exciting that um, it's just great for golf, and and uh, I think golf is in a very good place right now in a lot of ways. There's some ways that um, obviously uh, mm-hmm. there's there's some things going on that that are, are kind of controversial right now, but overall. Right. The game is in a great it's just in a great spot right now and I'm excited to be part of it and and join the uptick that uh, we're all experiencing. Well, and I think the other thing too, well said. I think one of the things that I noticed particularly from a lot of people like yourself and others and uh, like you and I that are in the business, um one of the things that we're really noticing and I'm sure you you've uh, witnessed this yourself um is that there's a lot of new people coming to the game. A lot of people that have never played this game before that have decided, you know what, I want to give this a try, or they were stuck inside and maybe in some cases didn't have a choice. They just you know, had to get out. They were tired of watching uh, movies on TV, and they said, i got to get out and do something. And golf was sort of a, a respite, if you will, uh, from, from the mundane uh, things going on in the, around the home. And once they got out, just like the rest of us, they kind of got bitten by the bug. And are you seeing that as well? Are you seeing a lot of New pe- I mean, obviously you're in a little bit different situation than maybe some but because um, you're, you're working at a private club, but um, are you seeing people or are you hearing more people coming out that maybe either haven't played before or maybe haven't played in a while? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, we have a public uh, range up here at the Westerville Golf Center, and I do uh, on, on Mondays, our, the club that I work at is closed, and so I do some teaching out there on Mondays. Uh, for some of my non-members and and some of my members as well, they also have a sheltered hitting area, which is very nice. And and their business has been through the roof. And the number uh, in February, for example, they're open year-round. And and if you can imagine in February in Columbus, Ohio, uh, you know, snow on the ground and and you hit all of your balls out there, uh, and you can't pick the range because there's snow out there. So they finally uh, had to shut the range down. Uh, because they were they ran out of golf balls and they shut it down for four days and they went out and unplugged balls out of the water and ice and all that stuff and 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 they picked 100,000 golf balls. Uh, so that wow. is an, an idea of how many balls that, that were hit. Um, and and then as soon as they opened up, it, this, the doors were just wide open. It, it's very much you were talking about Las Vegas. It reminds me of a casino because people just kind of mm-hmm. walk in. They're lined up. They walk in. They hit their balls and then they leave. And um, so it's just a revolving door, and it's great to see. And uh, I've gotten a lot of business off of, of from the public there because I do. I'm I'm am allowed to teach non-members uh, with my relationship with Medallion. So it's been a great marriage for me. And and being able to see the public side and being able to see the private side, they're both doing very well. 
Yeah, and and that's what makes it exciting. You know, it's always good to continue to work with with those that have been around the game for a little while. They've been maybe playing for several years, and it's just a matter of coming out for a season tune-up, shall we say. Uh, but it's especially nice to see people that have never played before to come out to the golf course and say, you know what, or to, to the driving range, and say, I, I want to learn this game. You know, it's, I've heard about it. I've watched people, uh, you know, friends of mine play, but I've never really, you know, gotten into it. So I, I really want to kind of find out a little bit more about it. Or maybe they've watched a tournament uh, or two on TV over the, you know, the last uh, year or so, um, as I said, during the pandemic. And they thought, you know what, maybe I'm going to, maybe now's the time I'm going to give it a try. So it's nice to see, and it, hopefully, um, you know, golf will continue to do things to expand and, and welcome more and more people into the game, and, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll continue uh, to do things to grow it. All right, you and I are going to talk about something that we haven't really talked about uh, on this show uh, really as of yet, uh, and that is really about the rough, and particularly the deep rough. So I've got seven steps here um, about how to get out of the rough, things that uh, can help you, and uh, this is an area that, you know, really doesn't get focused on a lot because, you know, we're always talking about chipping and putting and, and uh, you know, hitting good tee shots and that. But um, what happens when you get, you know, a, a shot into the rough? What do you do? What are some of the things that you can work on? So I'm going to go through specific points, so I don't want you to jump ahead if you can help it. Um, but, you know, deep rough uh, really can cause two main issues. Uh, the first one, the grass can snag your golf club and certainly cause it to close, which gives you this... Uh, sometimes some bad hooks or, or pulls. Um, and also, uh, the second thing is that snagging will also slow down your, your club, causing you to lose speed and power, So uh, resulting obviously in some weak hits and, and not actually being able to get out. So uh, a lot of people misinterpret what, uh, what the rough can do to you. And, and uh, so here are some steps. So the first one is uh, with the grip. Now, I personally, I think that um, to help people, and I want to get your thoughts on this, uh, the first one is really around the grip, and I believe that you need to grip the club a little bit tighter, certainly not a death grip, but you need to grip it a little bit tighter um, than normal in order to help combat some of the, the previous points I just made. Give me your thoughts on that, and what do you like to recommend when it comes to the grip for your students? Well, that's a, this is a great topic, and, and I assume we're talking about in the full swing here out of the rough, correct, not green side? Right. Um, so right. in the and you're exactly right, Ted. When when you're in the heavy rough, the the uh, the ball is going to tend, not always, but will tend to pull to the left because, uh, and especially if it's really deep and your ball's sitting down, the club you can't help but hit all that grass. You're you're going to hit a lot of grass when you're in the deep rough, obviously. And so when you hit all that grass, the face tends to shut down. And so yes, um, you I've heard Tiger say that in the heavy rough. Uh, he will, with his left hand, uh, in the middle two fingers, he will hold it a little tighter uh, to keep that from happening. Uh, and a lot of players will hit kind of what we call a hold-on shot, where you're holding on, you're not allowing the face to totally release over so that you can just get the ball back out into play in most cases if it's that bad of a, of a lie. You're not, in those situations, you know, you're not trying to hit the ball 200 yards or, or something like that. You're trying to basically get the ball back into play and then go from there. And so in those situations, uh, you're going to lose a lot of power. So you can't expect uh, if you're hitting an eight or nine iron or something like that or a pitching wedge or sand wedge, you're not going to, if you normally hit it, say, 100 yards, you may only hit it 75 yards. So you just have to understand you're not going to hit it as far normally uh, in those situations. But, yes, I think that that's a, that's a good a good uh, rule of thumb with the grip. 
So just to give any examples that the, the players uh, that are listening to us tonight, uh, just to get an example. So if, if typically, let's say, um, they're gripping, and we're doing this from 1 to 10, if their typical grip pressure is around a 5 out of 10, what would you recommend um, that they sort of increase that uh, if they're hitting out of the rough? Would they maybe a 7, 8, um, or, you know, what do you think? The, the number that you mentioned was seven. Now, here's the problem mm -hmm. when you when you say that because I can uh, if five is uh, would would be normal. Like if you're hit a grip pressure of five with the standard shot from the fairway, for example. But if you already have mm -hmm. someone who's who thinks they're a five but they're really an eight, if you tell them to grip it tighter, right. they're going to go to a ten, and then then that's the problem, and that's where you a trained professional. Um, giving a lesson. I mean, one of the first things I look at with any of my students is their grip pressure. You know, uh, some people hold it way too tight. Some people don't hold it tight enough. Um, so I'm really looking at, you know, how you get your fingers on the club. You want to grip the club, regardless of whether you're in the fairway or in the rough, you want to grip the club in the fingers, not in the palm of the hand. So uh, the grip tension is not in the wrist. It's going to be more in the fingers. Uh, so just keep that in mind. Well said. Um, I want to expand a little bit more on the, the grip. This is another point, but I, it's involving the grip. Um, I also recommend, and, and it goes to a point you said, you know, if you get a lot of grass behind the ball and you know you're going to hit that grass first, um, I recommend weakening the grip a little bit. And uh, just to cl clarify, what I'm talking about is um, is not referring to the grip pressure, uh, but to the positions of the hand. So, for instance, the left hand for right-handed golfers um, I might have a, a weaker uh, grip with that left hand. If I normally see two knuckles, I might want to rotate it uh, counterclockwise a little bit and have the thumb more on top uh, just because I know it's going to turn over and I want to prevent, kind of uh, helps what you were talking about earlier, but sort of holding off a little bit, preventing that club face from shutting down uh, with a normal grip. <clears throat> what do you think about that? Do you agree with that? Um, is that something that you recommend? Uh, or do you have something different that you want? I, but I, I think you have to make some adjustment a little bit um, to what you normally would do, not just the grip pressure, but also maybe weakening it a little grip uh, a little bit. What do you think? Yeah, I actually, I did a playing lesson today, and, and I actually had a shot like this where I was in the heavy rough. Um, there was, I was kind of blocked by, I was on a par five, and I was just trying to lay up, and I was a little bit blocked by a tree, and um um, and I had water left, and I'm hitting out of the heavy rough, and I'm thinking to myself, this could turn over and go left, and that's not good, so I want to make sure and, and keep this ball, you know, I want to hit like a punch shot and kind of hold on and hit a little fade. But what I recommend doing is instead I don't change my grip. What I do is I open the club face a little bit. Uh, and that mm -hmm. way, um, so I play more for a cut uh, to try to hit a purposely hit a cut um, when I'm coming out of the heavy rough. Um, you know, in most cases, because that way I know that I, I'm going to be coming in steeper anyway with a little bit more of an open club face. I'm, I'm going to produce a natural cut, and that gets the ball up in the air, and that gets the ball, you know, um, kind of safely going, hopefully a little bit of a left-to-right shot. So that's kind of the way I do it if it's if I want to keep it from going, you know, to the left. Yeah, and that's a great point, too, because I think, you know, again, everybody's different. Some things might work better for other players. So you have to really kind of experiment, I, I think, when you agree a little bit. Obviously, there's certain things that you need to do uh, with, regardless of, of who you are. But there's obviously a little room of or flexibility, I guess is a better way to put it, 
Um, some people may want to open the club face a little bit, as you do, uh, to sort of combat what, uh, what potentially is going to happen when you're hitting at a thick rough. The other thing that, uh, John, I think that uh, works well is, uh, and certainly to help, uh, because obviously with your irons you're hitting down and through the shot because you want to make sure you make uh, ball first contact. But in a case like this where maybe, especially if it's nestled down in that thick rough, you're not likely going to hit the ball first, but you still want to be able to hit down. Um, I recommend playing the ball back um, a little bit further than your typical ball position. What do you think about that? Yes, I can. I can do that depending if it's extremely bad. I, I would recommend that. Uh, the other thing that I recommend doing is setting your weight a little more into your left hip because the more you mm-hmm. at setup, uh, and I just want to clarify something on the club face. When I say open the club face, I'm not talking about opening it up like if you're hitting a bunker shot. I'm talking about right. just a few degrees. It's very like if you had a seven or eight or nine iron, just barely opening it up. Uh, you know, like if mm-hmm. you're looking at the leading edge, like it's 12 o'clock, it would not go to one o'clock. It would go somewhere with you know between 12 and one o'clock. So it'd be slightly open, and then setting the weight a little bit into the left side. I have at times. Uh, especially if it's really bad, move the ball back in my stance. Typically when I'm doing that, I am uh, coming out of heavy rough and I'm just trying to go out sideways to get like in, back into the fairway or something. You know, I've, I've conceded that I can't advance the ball down the fairway, so I, I'm playing it more along those situations, and then I definitely will move it back. Yeah, and I think, again, it goes to depending on the, the lie. Um, sometimes, you know, you've got a thick fluffy lie and the ball's sitting down where you need to definitely commit at a, a steeper angle so that might be the right play to move it back a little bit if you're sometimes you're fortunate if the rough is not real thick and it might be sitting uh most of the ball might be sitting a little bit on top of that fluffy lie uh then you know you, you again you're going to have a different scenario there so you really have to assess and i think this goes back to things that we've talked about for a long time here on the coach's corner and that is really assessing the situation assessing the lie um finding out what shot it is that you want to play, you know, are you in a position that you can go for the green if it's a short shot um, or is it a layup shot? So there's a lot of factors that need to be uh, put in play, I, w- I would think, right? There's no doubt about it. The very first thing that you need to do in any situation is assess your lie. And uh, something that's very important, if your ball is sitting down in very thick rough, the first thing you need to do is identify your golf ball. Because the last thing you want to do is hit a ball and then realize that you hit the wrong ball. Uh, and, and that has happened. Uh, that's happened to me, and it happens to a lot of people. Um, and I've seen, I've seen that happen uh, quite often. And, 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 you know, it's unfortunate, especially if it happens in a tournament. So assessing your lie. And, and assessing your lie, I always think of, of just kind of like a, an ice cream cone. The more of the – ice cream cone or the more of the ice cream I can see and the less of the cone I see, that's the better lie. If the ice cream is down in the cone more and you've eaten ice cream, that's a bad lie. So a good lie is sitting, sitting up, bad lie is sitting down and, and just look at the ball. And, and uh, I've always said, if you can't tell whether it's a good or bad lie, assume it's a bad lie. Right. Yeah. Always play uh, factor it for the worst case scenario, because that way you're still, um, able to, if, uh, with proper adjustments and proper setup, uh, you're still going to increase your likelihood of success. Um, yeah, so you always want to prepare and plan for the worst and obviously hope for the best. Uh, 
Another one, too, in another area, despite some of the things that we've talked about already, um, another good option is, and again, we're, we're factoring in that you've assessed things and you've, you've taken some of the other steps that we talked about. Um, some recommend aiming right a little bit. Uh, again, because we talked about earlier, the tendency is to the club face to shut a little bit, causing either a, a very strong draw in some cases or uh, a hook. And um, so aiming a little bit right of your intended target uh, is, is maybe something that uh, you might want to do as well. Give me your thoughts here. Oh, absolutely. I, in fact, I did a video on that a few years ago, and it's up on my website, and um, it's under the course management section of my website. And um, if, if you go to DeckerGolf.com and go to course management, uh, you can find it, and it's hitting out of the primary rough, I think is the title of it, something along those lines. And, uh, and that's what I talk about. I said there's, you know, your adjustment is, you know, your club selection, assessing your lie, but aiming right of your target. Uh, 90% of the time, I'm going to be aiming right of the target when I'm coming out of the primary rough uh, and, and allowing for the ball to, to pull or hook because I know that that's a tendency that will happen. And it's important to understand that that means even if I'm hitting out, uh, pitching out sideways just to get back in the fairway and I'm in heavy rough, I'm still going to allow for that because I've seen people take that shot for granted. They hit it in the heavy rough, and they're just going to chop it back out and get it in the fairway. They don't take their time. They don't pay attention to their alignment. And then they pull it, and then they stay in the rough because they can't get it going on the, long, on the line that they want it to go because they didn't allow for that. So little adjustments like that can make all the difference in the world and in, um, in how you play and, and uh, where you end up on the golf course. Yeah, well said. Um, again, preparation, I think, is everything. Uh, it, with Regardless of what shot you're playing, uh, you always want to be prepared. You want to have the facts, if you will, uh, or as much information as you can gather within a reasonable period of time. I mean, obviously, you don't want to uh, incur uh, uh, slow play and, and hold people up. But, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do, especially if you're playing in a group um, and it's not your turn. That's the time to be gathering information, to assessing your lie, you know, go to your ball and, wait for your turn in the, in the process as you're walking up and you're looking and assessing things, um, then you can start to make some informed decisions. And once you do, uh, again, your likelihood of success. Another one, too, uh, and you kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier on, uh, John, and that is, um, you know, depending on what club. So let's say, for instance, you might uh, typically from that distance, it might be an 8-iron. Um, it might be a good idea to club up and, and take a 7-iron. Um, sometimes, again, because of that grass, the things are going to slow down your swing. Again, if, again, assessing the situation, if, it's, if the ball is sitting a little bit further up, um, then you might not need to do that. But if it's nestled down, you might want to go up to a 7-iron uh, because you're going to probably lose some distance. Again, it depends on what you're going to do. If you're uh, going forward or if you're trying to get it a little further down the fairway and you've got the room for it and you're not going to run into trouble, you may want to club up to a 7-iron. Uh, what do you think about that? Yes, it's funny because you're, you're, all the things you're talking about are the things I experienced today in my own game when I was out on the golf course because I had a situation where I was in the heavy rough. I, I was on a par five, and I'd, I'd, hit, um, I'd hit two good shots, but my ball just kind of curled off and rolled into the primary rough, and I ended up getting a, a lie that fooled me. I looked at the lie mm -hmm. and thought that I had a flyer. Uh, and so I, uh, a flyer is... When you're, when the, a lot of times when your ball is sitting up uh, in the primary rough or in the intermediate rough as well, uh, it, the ball is kind of sitting up, and there's a little grass behind it, but not a lot of grass. 
and maybe sometimes you know how the grass is laying it, it might be lying mm-hmm. laying towards the green and and so the ball yeah. is exposed to the back of the ball and that's where you hit a flyer where you're trying to hit it 100 yards and it goes 120 yards well i was looking right. at the line i thought i had a flyer and um and so i i clubbed i had a, a, a i think i had about 100 yards to i had 100 yards to the green and when I hit it, the, the club, uh, literally, the ball was sitting up so high off of the ground, it was about a half inch off the ground, that when I hit it, I couldn't compress it against the ground. I hit, a, I hit the ball first, but there was, it was like it was in the air. And so the ball, instead mm-hmm. of going 100 yards, went 80 yards. And I kind of laughed right. myself because I knew that I didn't make a bad swing. I knew that I got fooled by the rough, and that's why you don't want to be in the primary rough because – there is an element of guesswork. No one, mm-hmm. um, even the most experienced tour player, is going to know how a lie is going, uh, how a ball is going to come out of a out of the rough every single time. Sometimes the ball just comes shooting out, and sometimes yeah. the ball doesn't. But one thing that I can tell you is, it, the water uh, moisture has a lot to do with that. And so, if you have a lot of moisture, you can assume that the ball is not going to fly out. If it's dry and like what you know they had over the British Open, uh, my goodness, uh, you could even if you were in the primary rough over there, if you got in that stuff, as long as you could get your club on the ball, it was going to come shooting out of there. Um, so that was, um, you know, conditions like that have a lot to do uh, when you're playing as well. Yeah, and and again, as as we pointed out, there's a lot of factors that you have to consider. And you want to make sure that you assess the situation um, as best you can. And obviously, depending on the level of player you are, obviously, if you're a newer player, um, you may not understand some of this yet. And that's where your teaching professional can uh, give you some, some good guidance there. But if you're a little bit better player than that, um, you definitely have the opportunity to assess that situation and find out and make the uh, an informed decision and be able to hopefully uh, execute the shot the way you want it to. And sometimes as as you experienced today, John, you thought you had the, the right guess there, and it turned out that uh, it was uh, a little bit deceiving, and, and uh, you still got off a good shot, but not quite what you wanted. So even some of the better players out there are going to struggle from time to time with those shots. So that's why it's important to really understand what you're faced up against before you actually just go ahead up there and start swinging the club. The other one, too, is, again, factoring in some of these things that we're talking about, the rough being, a, especially if it's thicker than that, um, you need to swing harder. Uh, certainly you don't have to kill it, but you're going to have to swing a little bit harder, a little bit firmer maybe than what your normal shot be just to ensure that you get through that thicker rough. If it's not, if it's sitting up like you had, John, then obviously uh, that may not be the case. You may not have to swing necessarily harder, but if it's certainly sitting down into some of that thicker rough, uh, you're going to have to swing at it. I mean, we've seen Tiger take a, a pretty mighty swipe over the years when he's found himself in that situation. Um, is that something that you... Uh, certainly, we're not looking for the Happy Gilmore shot here, but uh, is that something, too, that uh, I think that you advise your students is that in that situation that they're going to need to maybe swing a little bit harder, not real hard, but just a little bit harder than what they normally might? Yes, and you can actually um, – I, I agree with you. There's times uh, that I've seen Tiger do this on the golf course when he's been in the high weeds before, the high, you know, really high stuff. Uh, and you can actually do uh, hit a shot that Gary Player made famous, where he actually steps through the shot. I've seen Tiger do that. Gary Player played like that on the on the PGA Champions Tour, and um, I, I recommend that for my students as well. I'd be like, you know, you, I want you to get your body weight through this shot, 
And, and if, if stepping through it helps you get through that shot, then let's do it. And, um, and I've had some students do that. And, and especially for the students that don't have the club head speed, you know, that, that don't have a real high mm-hmm. club head speed, that stepping through really kind of helps get their body weight through it and gives them the most power possible uh, in those situations. Um, and so, you know, if, if Gary Player and Tiger Woods can do it on the golf course, why can't you do it on the golf course? And that drill is um, on my full on the website as well. If you go into the full swing section, that drill is called the step through drill, and um, and mm-hmm. and I think it's a it's a a very effective way to play from the primary rough. Yeah, well said. Um, and this last tip, we're going to talk about some more stuff in a moment. We still got some time, but this particular tip, we're we're dealing right now with sort of. Uh, the thicker rough and obviously longer shots. We're going to talk about some shorter shots uh, and around the green uh, in a moment here. But and this one here, I think, is is uh, really sets the tone, and that is to leave your ego in the clubhouse. Uh, you know, the tips that we've been talking about certainly should allow you to advance your ball down the fairway. But if your ball is, you know, really buried, then you know you might need to take your medicine and just, as you pointed out, just chip it out and get it back into play. Um, and there might even be some situations, John, where it's completely unplayable. Uh, if it's really long, you get some of that fescue like the, you see over in, in uh, the open there uh, where it's really long grass. And for the less skilled players that just don't understand how to, to work that, even for some of the better ones, um, find themselves uh, you know, swiping at it several times. Uh, so the worst thing you can do is to you know, add a few extra strokes to your uh, scorecard by uh, taking three or four swipes at it. Um, the better plays might be able to declare it unplayable if it's really bad, and pick it up and go back a line, you know, towards the line, uh, towards the tee, and and find a good place and and take your medicine from there. What do you think? Well, no doubt about it. Um, you know, Tiger calls it getting out of position. You know, he said he mentions this all the time in interviews. And when you get out of position on the golf course, the first thing you have to do is get back into position. And so if you mm-hmm. hit a drive and you're in the primary rough. Um, you know, you, you, the first thing that you, you know, you hope once you hit in the primary rough, you're hoping, okay, I hope I get a good lie. Well, sometimes you don't get a good lie. So now you have to assess your situation. Um, you know, you, if you're, uh, let's say that you're, um, too high, you know, maybe 200 yards from the green. Well, if you have a bad lie, you can forget about, um, trying to yep. hit, um, a 200 yard shot out of a bad lie, I'm going to forget about hitting if I'm 200 yards away and I have a bad lie. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take out one of my wedges and I'm going to try to hit it anywhere from say 75 to 100 yards to leave myself. I'm, I'm going to take that 200 yard shot and break it down into two shots. So if I take out, let's say for example, I hit a pitching wedge and I can hit it 100 yards out of a really bad lie. And now my 200 yard shot is in the fairway. Now I put a, I'm a hundred yards from the hole. Now I'm relatively mm-hmm. back in position. I'm back in the game. Um, and so what you don't want to do is compound your problem and, and try to pull out a seven wood or a hybrid or a five wood or something like that. And when you're in a really bad lie and the ball's sitting down uh, and try to hit it out of there, that's not recommended. Now, if you have a fairly good lie, that's different. But when you're in a bad life situation, your number one goal is to get back in position. And if that means just going out sideways, and this is another one that I see a lot. Let's say you're on a short par four um, and you hit it in the primary rough and the rough is so, the, the lie is horrible and you're 100 yards from the green. Well, everyone has that temptation. Oh, I can hit it 100 yards. 
Well, sometimes you right. can't when the lie is that bad. So instead of trying to hit it forward toward the green, why not pitch it out sideways? It's a lot easier shot. And give yourself a full 100-yard shot into the green. For a lot of players, that's a shot that they're comfortable with. So, you know, yeah. learning that you don't always have to go toward the green to get back in position is also important because it's going to take you two shots anyway. If you hit, if you hit it and you let's say that you hit it 60 yards out of there, now you've left yourself a 40-yard shot. I would rather be 100 yards from the green than 40 yards from the green. Uh, from 100 yards, I yeah. can hit a standard full shot from that distance. Right, and that that's, was the point I was going to make is I would rather have a full shot into the green than having to manufacture a half shot or or a, a you know a, 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 you know even less than that getting it up and and you know say 30 40 yards uh, that now it becomes more difficult even some of the best players in the world will tell you that they would much rather have a full wedge shot in than having to manufacture a half wedge or or something along that lines um, you know obviously those shots sometimes happen um, but you don't want to set yourself up that. You always want to set yourself up uh, to give yourself the best chance for your next shot. So you always want to be thinking ahead, I think is really what you're trying to say, is is if you've got a bad lie, and, and as you said, it's 100 yards out, yeah, normally you might be able to hit it 100 yards, no problem, uh, but if you're in a thick, nasty, gnarly uh, rough, and you know that the likelihood is not high percentage that you're going to execute that shot with any sort of success, then yeah, let's play it out. Don't try to move it forward and advance it. Now, if you're further back, that's okay to move it up to, to the 100-yard mark. But if you're 100 yards, let's say, within within reason, yeah, play it out sideways. Get yourself back in the fairway. Now you get a full shot. And the worst you've done is lost one stroke. But if you do it the other way, and especially if there's water or some other uh, hazard or something up around the green, and you're trying to go a full shot out of that 100-yard uh, shot out of the rough, now you're running in the risk that you may put it in the water or you may put it into an out-of-bounds or what have you, and now you're in even worse shape. So I, I agree with you. I think you always want to do that. So let's fast forward a, a little bit um, and talk about really the shorter shots and see if we can help a little bit with – sorry, I thought I was going to sneeze. My apologies. Um, no what problem. I want to do is, is – we've talked about – <laughs> I could feel it coming, and I was thinking, okay, it's going to happen right in the middle of my sentence. So we've talked about what to do in the rough from a full shot, um, which I think we've given some good steps. But when you're getting around the green, there's obviously uh, rough close to the green. Um, sometimes in certain situations we'll see what we refer to as a grass bunker, um, where it's actually a, a hole, but it's not a bunker with sand. It's actually a grass hole. Sometimes you find yourself in there. There's different ways to play that. So let's talk about some of those, and that's a good one to start with. So if you find yourself in a deep grass bunker, obviously it's not um, you know, like a fescue or what have you, but it's, it certainly can be deep, and you find yourself in something like that. How would you play a shot like that? What would you recommend um, and maybe give a couple of options? Well, the way I, when I was at Grand Cypress, we had uh, we had a lot of those. We have actually some holes here at Medallion. We have a few holes that have that as well. Uh, luckily, I haven't been in them uh, lately, so I, I haven't had to hit them. But but uh, those those uh, I play like a greenside bunker shot. I open the face up a little mm -hmm. bit with uh, a sand wedge or lob wedge, depending on how far I have to hit the shot, and I go ahead and play it aggressively like a a, a bunker shot knowing uh, because the ball, I can't get to the ball anyway. 
because there's grass around it. And just keep in mind that um, it, you, the advantage to being in a grass bunker versus being a sand bunker is you get to make practice swings. And it's in very mm-hmm. important in all these shots is you need to t- – this goes back to our preparation and assessing the lie. You also need to assess the grass that you're getting ready to hit from, and that can only be done, um, you know, really by making practice swings or rehearsal swings. And I tell my students all the time, if I'm hitting a driver, I might make one, maybe two practice swings. just depends on how I feel in the shot. If I'm hitting out of a primary rough, I'm going to make five or six practice swings. I've got to feel that grass. I want to know exactly how much moisture, how much uh, resistance I'm getting, uh, you know, is the soil really packed? Is it really wet? Is it really firm? All of these things are going to factor in to how much swing I need to make. You know, it, because you can be in heavy rough and you can swing and the club can move very easily through there. And you go, okay, this isn't too bad. And then you can be in marginal rough and you, as soon as the club hits the ground, it like literally stops because it's wet and, and it's really thick. So you, the, the advantage is, is in the green side grass bunkers is that you get to test the surface and that makes uh, a lot of that takes a lot of experience uh, and don't just make a rehearsal swing or practice swing because I'm telling you do it to do it do it because you're trying to test the, the grass and then just play it like a greenside bunker shot and um, you know you should be able to get it out and you you can hit a high shot when you do that um, you you know it's the hard part is guessing how far the ball is going to again, how far it's going to go. Sometimes it comes out really soft. Sometimes it comes shooting out of there. And um, that's, again, why, you know, that's the, the uh, what makes the primary rough a, a spot. No one ever, you know, tour players don't go out on the golf course saying, hey, I'm going to try to hit it in the primary rough today because there's not a lot of advantages. <laughs> All you're trying to do is what we call damage control, and you're trying to save your score, and you're trying to find the fattest part of the green to get it on. You're not worried about the pin. You're just worried about getting back into position like we talked about and then let your putter make up for the fact that you're in that greenside bunker or a greenside grass bunker. Now, I just want to add a little bit more to that. So in a scenario like that, now obviously um, you might have two different variables. Um, you might have it where the ball is nestled a little further down, and I agree with you. Um, you know, to play it very much like a greenside bunker, open the face up, uh, whether it be a sand wedge or a lob wedge, uh, and do that. But what about if the ball's sitting up a little bit, um, and you might run the risk of, of, and we've seen this happen even with the tour players, the ball's sitting up, you know, it's not really gone down too deep, and they try that exact shot, and they end up going right underneath it. Um, what do we do? Do we maybe close the face just a little bit more so that you're getting more a chance of club face making contact, even though I know you're still going to hit some grass? Um, what do you do in a case like that? Because you want to, you don't want to run the risk that you're going to slide the club right underneath in that grass if the ball's sitting up a little bit. Yes, when I was uh, working with Bob Sowards, um, we were at the PGA Championship in Oak Hill, and and um, and he struggled with that shot. He said, "John, he said, how do I play this? Because this happens here. He's, he'd played there before, and um, the primary rough there is very thick, extremely thick, and sometimes it's so thick that it can support the ball." And the ball is like right. sitting up, and, and that's kind of what happened to me today when I was hitting. You, you literally feel the club hit the ball, and then there's like air underneath it. There's nothing to compress it against, and so it, the, you hit it very high on the club face. And I told him, um, you know, I said, here's how we play that shot. Number one is we square the club face. We do not open the club face. 
Number two, we narrow our stance. So we get a more narrow stance. We do not want a wide stance because a wide stance is going to allow the club to hit behind the ball like you're hitting a bunker shot. You don't want to have that when the ball is sitting up in the primary rough. And number two is you're going to your your feet are closer together than it would be in a, a normal pitch shot. And then you're going to lean your weight more to the left. And then your club is going to go, kind of go up to down, and you're going to basically hit that you know square on because you're able because the ball is exposed, you're, you're going to kind of play it like a chip shot, but you're going to be using that with a, a, a more lofty club. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. the way we worked on that. Um, you know, and it's um, uh, the other thing that I think helps you in those situations is to choke down on the club just a little bit. Because if you hold the club at the very end, like uh, you have a tendency to bottom out, again, go underneath the ball, and that's the worst you, thing you can possibly do is, is completely go underneath the ball and literally whiff it, and the ball just drops down into your divot. I've done that before. I think we all have, yeah. and that is uh, that is just that now you're really in trouble. So um, again, this is going to be course management. Again, when that ball is sitting and uh, sitting up like that, you're still trying to get the ball into the center of the green uh, and 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 trying to have damage control. And I would encourage you. Uh, when you're practicing, if you are practicing your short game, to to give yourself good lies, give yourself bad lies, give yourself where the ball's sitting up, sitting down, and then start experimenting. Remember on the bad lies, we're going to open the club face and, and hit more down on it on the good lies. Uh, or with the ball sitting up, we're going to square up the club face, and that's going to make it a little easier uh, for you to control um, you know, where the club is coming in, the depth that it's coming in, so it's not coming in too deep. Um, you know, when it's when it's sitting up, uh, I don't I don't need to come in real steep. I want to come in more level, so um, I'm not going to lean as much, and I'm not going to you know hit mm-hmm. down on it as much. I'm going to come in a little bit more level in that situation. Well said, um, and you know, there, again, this is where I think John, we've mentioned several times, and probably we'll mention it a few more times before we uh, finish up tonight. But um, where it's really important to assess the lie and to assess the overall situation that you're faced with because too often we see players, they see it, they say, well, I'm only so-and-so, you know, yards or what have you from the, uh, from the hole and I'm just going to, you know, that's a, a, you know, an eight iron or that's my wedge or what have you and they just grab a club and that may not be the best move and it may not be the best option for them. So they really need to take, a, and, and again, as you said, um, you know, you're able to test the, the waters, figuratively speaking, so you want to make sure you take a few practice swings and test the grass and, and, and test the, the lie, if you will. Um, obviously, you want to make sure you step back a little bit, that you're not going to move the ball in any ways, but you want to make sure that you're testing it and giving yourself a, a, you know, an idea of what you're going to be dealing with. Um, and a lot of players don't do that. They just step up and they just hit a shot, and then it's all over the place. The other one that I want you to touch on as well, and this is, you know, sometimes we find ourselves, we've you know, hit our approach shot to the green, um, and unfortunately it, it goes a little bit left or goes a little bit right, what have you, or maybe even long, and it's in the rough. It's not, uh, you know, it's not a lot of yards off the green, but it's still in the rough, um, and I see a lot of players right away will pull out a wedge. They'll try, you know, the lob wedge, and they'll try to get some high flop and, and you know, hopefully land it down, and that might be okay for a more skilled player, but sometimes that might not always be the best option. 
So let's say if you're on, it might even be on the, the mound on the green itself. You might only be, let's say, 10, uh, 10 yards. It might even only be 10 feet off of the green, but you're in the rough. What are some options here to play? Well, there's all kind of options that you can use uh, when you're in the primary rough um, around the greens. Um, you know, I prefer to use my lob wedge. I've always said that, um, you know, the lob wedge is my most lofted club or that's my 60-degree sand wedge. Uh, if, uh, if you have, some people have, you know, wedges that just say 60 on it, uh, I call it a lob wedge. But whatever you want to call it, I go with my most lofted club, and I, I like to open the face. That's the typical way that I like to play out of the heavier rough. Now, if you catch a good lie um, and your ball is sitting up, you can do a lot of different things. I've seen people putt with their hybrids. Uh, maybe if there's primary rough, and then they have like a, a fairway right there. Maybe they're just barely in the primary rough, so they don't have to carry it very far, and they have a lot of green to work with. You can putt with a seven wood or a hybrid, uh, you know, and putt it out of the rough. You can do that in some situations if you're not comfortable using a, a lob wedge. Um, I mm-hmm. think I see some people who um, who try to play it more like the bunker shot. And they, they, they go with the big, full, flopping, you know, try to hit the Phil Mickelson flop shot, you know, no matter where they are in the primary rough. You better have a lot of skill and, and practice to do that. I prefer to have my students uh, play more of uh, a shot, very much like what, the way Tiger does it. Uh, if you watch Tiger when he hits out of the primary rough, he, ha- he has more of a strike. Uh, and I did a video on this on the website. It's called the Snake Strike. If you think about how a snake strikes, it, it recoils. It strikes and it recoils. It doesn't have a long follow-through. And, and I see so many people who have long follow-throughs out of the primary rough, and they will double hit it. And so I yes. can avoid the double hit by not having a long follow-through. All that really matters is that you get the energy of the club underneath the ball. And if you do that, the energy will pop it up and then it will release. Now, depending on how far you're, you have to go. Now, if, you have to, if you're coming out of the primary rough and you have to go 40 yards, no, that's not going to work. You're going to have to make a follow-through from that distance. But if you're in the green, like if you're right off the edge of the green, I encourage my students to have very little follow-through, to have a sharper angle of approach where they're coming in steeper so they can pop that ball up and, and hit a soft shot. So there's a, there are some different options. I feel like the best way to play out of the primary rough around the greens is to go with your most lofted club because my I always my old adage is is loft is your friend. You know, I want to have loft. If I'm in bad lie, if I'm in primary rough, I want to have loft in my hand. And um, it, to me, it's a lot easier to use a lob wedge and hit those shots than it is a sand wedge. So, again, um, but there, these are those are just some of the options, that uh, ways to play that, that I recommend. Yeah, and I think, you know, particularly for the better players, too, I think that's a, obviously a, a, a premium uh, option for them to take. Something, too, that I like to, to see some players do, especially if they're not comfortable hitting that shot, is, uh, and again, if they're just slightly off the green, but they've got to get it out, even if it's sitting down a little bit, I'll actually have them get something like a 9-iron and uh, really have the, the shaft um, almost standing completely upright and have them hit down slight like a, a ch- they're going to hit a chip shot and again not really follow through but just sort of pop it out 
and get it rolling on the green. Uh, if the putter, you know, if you can't use a putter or you can't use a, a hybrid or something like that. But I agree with you. I think it, whenever possible, I think, especially for the better players, I agree. I think that you want to be able to uh, use that lofted club and try to get it out uh, of that thicker rough. And, and again, obviously, if you're sitting up a little bit more in the rough, then there's some other options available too. But uh, again, it go, I think, John, it goes back to what we, we've said all along, and that is, number one, you want to take a look and assess the lie. You want to find out, is the ball sitting down? Is it sitting up a little bit, or is it somewhere in between? Um, what are your obstacles in front of you? Do you have to go over something like a bunker? Uh, that's going to factor in as well uh, and limit your choices um, of what you can do. And then you also have to factor in your ability. Um, if you're not a very strong player or a good player and um, you know you need to give it a little bit more oomph, if you will, to get it through that grass, uh, again, you need to, to look at some of those. So the steps that we talked about earlier, um, I, I think were good. I think that those are really what you want to do. And some are going to be... Um, varied depending on the lie and and the situation that you're going to be in but those are some good steps to to think about and i always try to when i have students that go up on their own when we're obviously practicing uh together then i'll take them and do this but when they're not with me i will encourage them because we see this all the time uh, you know we've talked about this probably a thousand times on the show over the years as we see a lot of players when they go to the practice range themselves they're just you know raking and hitting balls off of, you know pretty much a perfect lie I like to get them to go down to the end of the uh, uh, the range where there may be some rough, uh, where they're obviously away from people a little bit, and have them practice hitting out of some of those thicker lies like that. Because uh, again, you know, you have to practice what real life situations on the golf course. You can't, you know, you're not hitting off a perfect lie all the time. And a lot of players, I think that, uh, you know, we see typically going to practice give themselves the best opportunity for a shot, which is great but you're not always going to be faced with that on the golf course. Any final thoughts or, or comments you want to make uh, as we get ready to wrap up? No, I think you did a great job with that, that Ted, uh, and you're exactly right. I love the idea about the nine iron chipping. Um, you know, it, that is a, definitely an option. One of the things also that you need to, the advantages of, and something I really didn't mention and, and, and I think is important to, for the listeners out there, and this is, goes really when you talk about green side, uh, primary rough. Most golf courses, they put these mounds, you know, all around. You could, you could be playing yes. in Florida, but you, you feel like you're, you know, uh, in, you're in all these mounds, and you're like, where did this terrain come from? Well, they use bulldozers and they move the dirt around, and so sure. you can be five, <laughs> you know, five yards off the green and be on a downhill lie or be on an uphill lie, or the ball is way below your feet or above your feet. The slope has a lot to affect, will affect you as well. And think about this, if if you're in heavy rough and the ball's above your feet, well, if the ball's above your feet, the ball's going to go left, okay, if you're hitting off the fairway. Well, it's going left off a side hill lie around the green, but imagine putting heavy rough there as well. Now it's really mm-hmm. going to go left. So all of these, you know, all of these shots that you get around the green, I think Ben Hogan said there's not enough daylight in, you know, during the, the day to work on all the shots you could find in golf. And so it's important, I, you know, before tournaments, when I was playing a lot, I, the day before a tournament, I would spend about an hour, and all I would do is I would give myself an uphill lie, a downhill lie, ball below my feet, ball above my feet, and I would just hit shots. I would hit short shots, I would hit medium shots, and I would hit long shots and because I wanted to get my mind thinking about 
the, you know, okay, this ball is going to go left off this slide. This ball is going to go right. This ball is going to go high. This ball is going to go low. And so I could figure mm-hmm. out my club selection. I could get a feel for it. I wasn't standing on the driving range or standing on the practice green, just hitting the same shot over and over and over again, grooving just one shot. And that's in reality not going to help me when I get on the golf course because the situations are so different. So that's another thing that's important is figuring out the slopes. And you can tell by your feet. You can tell by your rehearsal swings, uh, you know, whether you're on an uphill, downhill, ball below or ball above your feet. And once you get used to doing that, um, it's amazing when you get those shots around the golf course. You don't panic. You say, I've worked on this. I know what to do. And you go do it. So uh, listeners out there, I would really recommend that next time you go to the golf course. I couldn't agree more. I think that, um, you know, the more we can practice um, whatever it is that we're shot we may be faced with, there's always going to be situations uh, that we're going to come across, and I think it's important that you practice that in your practice sessions, not just with when you're with your coach or your teacher professional, uh, but when you're on your own. I mean, there's, you know, if you're just doing a general warm-up, um, you know, before a round and you've gotten there maybe a few minutes, uh, you may not have the option to do very much of that. Uh, but if you've got the time to go up and actually you're, you know, working on some of the things that your coach has, has got you to work on, some of the drills, that's something that you can add in there is some, you know, uneven or, or different, uh, difficult lies that you might be faced with because you're going to eventually, if, you, if you're playing any sort of golf course at all, uh, you're going to be faced with a variety of different shots. And those are some of the shots, especially out of the rough, that a lot of people don't practice. I mean, you know, you'll see some people, they'll get up and they'll chip off of the green and, you know, they'll do some other shots uh, that they might be faced with. But, you know, typically they don't practice bunker shots very much. And I very seldomly ever see uh, very many people uh, hit out of the rough uh, in their practice sessions, except for when they're, you know, with their coach or instructor. So those are things that you need to practice because those are things you're going to be faced with when you're out in the golf course. And I think if you do some of the steps that we talked about tonight, and if you miss them, if you're coming in late in the conversation, uh, the show is auto-recorded, so you can go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live after the show, and you can listen to it its entirety. So, you know, you can play it over and over again until you get those steps uh, in line. But I think we covered just about everything, John, and, and hopefully we've helped some listeners out there. There's still lots of golf uh, left this season for everybody pretty much all across the, the country here and, and around the globe. Uh, so this is the option to get out there and really go low. So, um, John, I want to thank you for uh, an interesting discussion tonight. I think you and I held the fort down pretty good, and uh, I think we uh, hopefully uh, answered a lot of the questions people might have uh, trying to get out of deep rough. Um, as always, I'm going to give you an option to uh, uh, to let the folks know how they can reach out. And if there's anything that you want to plug or talk about uh, for the last minute or two, uh, the floor is yours. Well, thank you. First of all, Ted, I want to thank you, and I want to thank you for this show and, and the opportunity, the platform that you give all of the instructors. And I know all the teachers out there um, are very thankful of this opportunity, and I want to thank you for that. Um, for the listeners out there, I, I would encourage you uh, to go to my website. It's DeckerGolf.com. Um, and on the website, I have uh, my instructional videos. I have almost 200 now that are on there, and I have them broken down into different categories. I have full swing. I have uh, putting, chipping, pitching, bunker, course management. A lot of what we talked about today is on, on, the, on that website. Um, and also, I think golf fitness, uh, if I didn't mention that, golf fitness as well. Um, the second 
um, it, way that you can reach out to me is if you uh, on social media is through Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and and YouTube. I'm on all those platforms. Uh, a lot of my videos are on those as well. Um, and then I, I'm fortunate enough to be able to uh, be a senior editor with Golf Tips Magazine. And Ted, I appreciate you again for that opportunity. And I have two features. Uh, one feature that I do that is the Fairways to Heaven. Uh, which is a Christian-based um, uh, article that I write, uh, and also uh, the instructional uh, articles that I'm able to do for the magazine and, and uh, some videos as well. Uh, so that's been been a real joy. I've really enjoyed that. Uh, my book is Golf Is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game. It's sold at uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Walmart. If you go to any of those, uh, you, those websites, you can uh, order the book that way. And also have an audio book that just came out this year. It's the same book, but it's in audio format. Uh, and it's on, it's on uh, Amazon Audible or iTunes. So if you just go under iTunes or Amazon, uh, Amazon Audible, uh, you can put in Golf Is My Life and it'll, it'll come up uh, r- right away. And I am available for speaking engagements and also clinics. If you, if you would like for me to come to your uh, facility and do uh, some instructions to speak, uh, I can do that. Feel free to reach out to me on any of the social media platforms, and, and I'll be glad to get in touch with you and uh, line something up. But once again, Ted, thank you for this opportunity, and for all the listeners out there, I hope you've had a, a, a great year so far, and we still have a lot of golf left, so uh, keep working mm-hmm. at it and take some of the tips that you've learned tonight, and hopefully it'll improve your game. I couldn't agree more. Uh, as always, John, it's a pleasure, and I look forward to uh, reading your next uh, article and and uh, seeing some more great tips in the magazine as well. Uh, keep up the great work and uh, much continued success at Monterey, and, and uh, I will uh, look forward to seeing you a little bit later on the season in person uh, this fall when we get a little bit of a break. So um, as always, John, thanks again for, for joining me on, on uh, Coach's Corner, and uh, have a great uh, rest of your week and, and weekend. Thank you, Ted. I appreciate it. All right. All right, that was uh, John Decker joining me for a special Coach's Corner, uh, talking about getting out of the deep rough, uh, both uh, out of, away from the green and, and around the green. Hopefully we gave you some good tips. And again, if you missed uh, the earlier part of the show and you're coming in a little bit late, um, not to worry, just go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash live, and you can scroll down to the on-demand section at the end of the show and you can listen to the first part or the, listen to it its entirety again when it's convenient for you. But it's always going to be there in the on-demand section, so I suggest that you do that. We're going to take a quick short break, and then I'm looking forward to my special guest, award-winning architect uh, Augustin uh, Pisa. He's going to be joining me here in just a moment or two, and we'll uh, have a great uh, discussion with him uh, just after this message. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, don't forget to go to GolfTipsMag.com and, uh, as it said, subscribe today. Uh, It's a great issue. We're getting ready to put together our final 
uh, issue of the season, which will be in a November, December issue, and that's going to, have, of course, have the holiday gift guide. There'll be a lot of great uh, gifts in there for that golfer and your family, so make sure you check out that. And then the September-October issue has just gone to print. Uh, it was a little bit late getting to print just uh, uh, here uh, this past week, and it'll be available on newsstands uh, August 23rd. Uh, it should be out at most of the major newsstands uh, across the United States and up in Canada. And um, obviously the subscribers will get uh, their copies ahead of time. Uh, but so keep an eye out that it's a really I think it's gonna be a great issue I think you really enjoy it I'm not gonna give you too much information on it but uh, definitely want to check that uh, that'll be coming to newsstands and but I recommend that you subscribe it's a great deal um, uh, get six issues a year a lot of great instructional tips in there uh, some course uh, uh, travel options in there as well as well as some equi uh, great equipment reviews so you want to make sure you do that so go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today it's available in either digital uh, print or both. So you have a number of options there to do. Uh, all right, I'm very excited to be joined by my very special guest. He's an award-winning architect, Augustin Pisa. He's going to be joining me here in just a moment. Uh, he earned his Bachelor of Architecture degree from ITSESM, uh, uh, which is in Mexico, and his Master's degree in Golf Course Architecture from Edinburgh, uh, Edinburgh excuse me, University in Scotland. Uh, he's a proud member of both the European Institute of Golf Course Architects and uh, also the American Society of Golf Course uh, Architects. Um, he is uh, redefining uh, golf facilities with his unique design concepts. Uh, he was also recognized by Forbes magazine as one of the top 100 uh, inventive minds from Mexico, and Golf Inc. magazine included him in their Power 2020 issue as an up-and-coming superstar. He's also the director of the first tee in Mexico. And for 23 years, he has worked on world-class golf developments, and his designs are known for delivering quality, aesthetic, and strategic golf courses. So please welcome my very special guest, uh, Augustin Pisa. Good evening, Augustin, and welcome hello. to the show. How are Thank you, you, sir? Thank you very much, William. I'm very happy, very uh, uh, glad, and uh, grateful to be a guest on your show. Thank you. Well. Well, I appreciate it, and I'm going to, if you don't mind, I know that your friends call you Augie, so I'm going to call you Augie if that's okay with you. Yes, please. I think that's, uh, that's the best thing to do. Uh, <laughs> that's what my friends call me, so by all means, I feel more comfortable. Thank you. <laughs> all right. I, I appreciate it. Well, thank you, uh, first off, for uh, joining me. I've been looking forward to this, and uh, I know that uh, we've got a lot of things to talk about. So, but what I want to do first, uh, before we get into some of the specifics, is I want you to go back in, in time a little bit to when you really first started. I mean, obviously, you, you got a very extensive education in this area and that, but let's go back even further. When did you first decide? What was sort of the defining moment for you um, earlier on in your life that said, you know what, this is something that is interesting to me. This is something that I would really like to study in school and maybe, you know, uh, become a great architecture. Was that something that was sort of in your wheelhouse? Or did it was it more happenstance? It's just something that just sort of came about a little bit later on. What was sort of your journey to becoming where you are now? That's a great question, and it's a little bit of both. I think I called it, definitely called it. Uh, I think when you believe in something deeply, it is definitely going to, or most likely, it will happen. That's the first part of of the question. When I was when I was a a, a kid. I, I grew up in sports. I grew up in competitive sports doing whatever, either, either, either tennis or basketball or football or uh, 
uh, anything, swimming. And I tried golf. I liked golf, but it never really did it for me. It was more like, ah, let's go, let's go get dirty on the football field. Let's go do, do this. Let's go do that. <laughs> so, so, uh, so uh, that was the first. That's the first part of it. The second is that from since I was 11 years old, more or less, more or less fifth grade elementary, I knew that I wanted to become an architect. I was I was a bit creative, I guess a, a little bit of a menace to a certain extent, if you ask my parents. So uh, so it was kind of like a, <laughs> kind of like a I, I was always fooling around with things and and, and trying to be creative, or uh, and so I wanted to become an architect. I wanted to become in the somebody in the creative field. And as I got older, I kind of like put two and two together. It was like, wait a minute, why can't I be creative in the sports world? How can I become mm-hmm. a an architect in sports? You know, create uh, you know stadiums or, or parks or YMCA's. I I had no idea. So the next bit is the second part of the of the uh, of the answer, which is, you know, I did not necessarily was calling golf architecture, but when I discovered it or when it discovered me, then it was like my the opportunity to join my two passions, which were architecture and sports through golf architecture, which I don't think it can be, it can get any better when you want to combine these two things uh, than, than designing a golf course. You know, it's interesting because, you know, there's obviously a number of uh, uh, very successful individuals uh, in this field, in the same field as you. Um, And, you know, you see a lot of similarities, not, I'm not talking about you, but I'm talking about between other architectures in the in this business very you know similar but you kind of took a little bit different approach i mean you have some things in your designs that you typically don't see um in some of the other golf architecture out there so what was some of your inspiration what was what was it that made you different in a lot of the things that you're doing and we'll get into some specific things in a moment but um what why or how did you sort of develop the approach that you took as opposed to sort of following behind some of the others that are out there now? That's a, that's a very interesting one. I, I think if I had to answer like completely like boom, straight out of the, uh, of the tunnel, I would say that it's, it's because I did not, I, I, I was not brought up as a golfer. I did all sorts right. of sports, uh, including golf. So I wasn't, at the end of the day, I wasn't brought up as a golfer. So, I, I have always felt very free to design. I have mm-hmm. I, I don't I did not know any any of the how how would, how would you say it any of the you know the the third button uh, buttoned up uh, collar shirt I, I I did not know any of these rules to a certain extent right or weren't really mm-hmm. did not really grow up with them or the you know the uh, the the rules on on golf. Uh, architecture mm-hmm. or or anybody that was doing golf architecture I did not follow one single person so I think that's that's a little bit of that in that regard the other is that I learned when I studied when I when I started to do this golf architecture was in 98 when I started working for for Jack Nichols company called Paragon a construction company so I had two two projects with with the Golden Bear uh, uh, signature projects and then, I, and then I jumped to, to a Tom Fazio course, and then I've done a, mm-hmm. a Gary Player course, and then I was with, with Robert Von Hagee, and then 
you know, so these things have, have really, I do not come from a background of just learning from one single company or one single person, which is to a certain extent, right. sometimes so it happens, you know, oh, I've worked for Nicholas for 20 years. I've worked for, so, so I did not have that. I had like a little bit of everything. So I know how to, do, I knew how to cook, you know, French, Italian, Mexican, and Chinese, you know, <laughs> I'm like, okay, now, now, now I can do my own thing. You know? <laughs> so, so imagine that's, being able that's to brilliant. cook in the best Chinese, <laughs> in the best Chinese <laughs> restaurant, the best French restaurant, the best, best Italian restaurant. Uh, and all of a sudden, it's like, all right, I have all these tools. Now, now uh, uh, the other thing that I also uh, bring to the table uh, in, in this regard, William, is the is the uh, that I'm that I'm an, uh, that I am a that I am an architect by trade. Okay. So mm-hmm. so I also every time that I think of some of something or something that I do, I always have to justify it. So when, you just, when you're justifying a project, when you're out there, you, you need to come up with a justification of why. Why are you doing this? And that's very important for architecture, for regular vertical architecture. It's why are you doing this? Once you have the why, then you can start creating magic. So that, that, mm-hmm. that is also part of the, of the mix, per se. And, you know, uh, it, it, after that, I tried to consolidate myself as an architect when I did my master's degree, as you well mentioned, and thank you very much. Yes. Uh, with my mm-hmm. architects, uh, you know, my master's degree in, in the University of Edinburgh, it, exactly and precisely in, in golf course architecture. At the time, the, the mm-hmm. only one that existed in the world. So that was another opportunity, and I, and I graduated in 2005 working for a Scottish architect part-time and then full-time once I graduated. So that was another kitchen that I was in, uh, and that <laughs> that kind of like gave me gave me the the one of what I think is one of our competitive advantages, which is you know the schooling of of being having the school of these big names, great companies, top of the line quality, uh, extroverts, you know, not uh, mm. uh, anything can be done, everything can happen. And then going to the British Isles and learning the, that not everything should be like that. Maybe, maybe we have to respect nature. Maybe we have to caress nature. Maybe, maybe we have to be one with nature and just do a minimalist style of architecture. That's mm-hmm. what I learned being two years in the, in, the, in the UK with my master's degree and working for a Scottish architect and learning and playing from the originals. So I... I bring it in a very good mix. At least this is what I think. I bring, we bring it at our studio, bring a very good mix of the, of the conservative, you know, eco-friendly side, minimalist approach of the British Isles uh, with a, you know, out uh, uh, character um, uh, extrovert design of North America. Right. Right. Uh, a, a balance, in other words. You, you've, in a sense, really what you've done, um, Augie, is you've, you've sort of provided or created uh, a, what we w- would refer to in cooking as a sample plate. You've had a sampling of everything, and now you've sort of put your own blend into it. And I think it's very important, and, and I, I wanted to, to really get into that first before we talk about anything else, because I think it's important. You know, and I'll use Nicholas as an example, and you can certainly probably correct me if I'm wrong. You know, 
Nicholas obviously was a player. So in a lot of his designs, obviously, you know, certain clients may have different views and things, but typically when you're a player or you're somebody that's well entrenched in the golf business, you tend to design sort of around your style of play or your vision of play. And Nicholas obviously was a fader of the ball. So if you look at a lot of his courses, some certainly may not show this, but a lot of his typical uh, golf courses tended to, to favor a player that faded the ball. And so, you know, when you're somebody who, and there's nothing wrong with that, but when you're somebody that, that is sort of a, a and I, I don't want to say because I, I love Jack Nicholas, obviously he's a wonderful uh, individual, great player and, and what have you, but of course, you yeah. tend to, yeah, you tend to create to um, your, your own individual style and, and expand that way. And I think some of the others do that. So really what you've done is you've sort of, you know, it had a sample of each of them to see, okay, this is what they do, this is what they're doing, and now what I want to do is I want to take my thoughts, my creative expression, and I want to, you know, kind of take a little bit from each maybe and develop something different. Am I on the right path? Completely on the perfect path, Ted, yes. So from, from Jack Nicholson, you know, being in walkthroughs with him, being fortunate enough to be in walkthroughs with him, uh, you know, and just, just learning the ropes. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Jack, what, what, what his, him and his company did was put resort golf on the map beautifully, you know, right. especially in a, in, mm-hmm. an, in, a, in, a, in a country like Mexico that now you have, uh, 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 you know, Los Cabos, Cabo, Vallarta, and mm-hmm. Cancun, almost I mean, to a certain extent, thanks to uh, Nicholas Signature Designs. No, he was like, the, right. uh, he, he was usually the first one to arrive there and create a beautiful resort-style golf. And, yes, he would have tendencies. Yes, yes, definitely. But a, a, at the end, I think that he mastered that uh, during the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, you know, a master's degree. You can either go study it or you can actually learn from, from, from doing this for 40-plus years, yes, in, uh, all over the mm-hmm. world. So I, I think I've, I've learned. I've been very, very lucky to have – uh, to consider him uh, indirectly as a mentor because at the end, mm-hmm. you know, I've learned all of this beautiful resort-style design that is great uh, in, in, in Mexico and others, in other parts of the world. From Tom Fazio, mm-hmm. I learned the aesthetics, the quality control. It is just like second to none. From Robert Von Hege, I, I, I believe that I learned how to frame the golf course. And I, what, who, what I, who I believe that, that at, some, at that point, he was the most strategic golf architect out there he wasn't a player he was an architect so he had other details his plans was were very precise very well done uh so i learned a lot about him and get the and with gary player i learned as well as the resort side i also learned a little bit more of the ecological side he's he's into the ecological side of of, of things of the angles so so all of this cocktail uh, in, including my master's degree and my the studies over there in Scotland, uh, it is it is a big cocktail that now now I drank it all and now it goes through my lens when I'm when I'm designing. I think I have a little bit of everybody with including my uh, artistic flair, if you may, you know my own right. my own thing, my own experience from from the uh, years that I've been that I've been doing this. So yes, no, you're, you're definitely on the right track. Remember, Ted, the, you know, it, it, as a creative, 
we can only create what we have seen. You know, unless unless you're mm-hmm. a genius, unless you're somebody that out of this world, like uh, you are, we we have our mind is a library of things that we have seen. If you're a regular right. vertical architect, you're out there and you're checking the cathedrals, the houses, the uh, the waterfall mm-hmm. house from Frank Lloyd Wright, you know, anything from Frank Getty, who I'm a, I'm a big fan of. Um, you're mm-hmm. out there looking at Bilbao's uh, uh, museum, and, and, and you're just grasping a little bit here, a little bit there. And when you're doing your first sketch, it's just a few things that, you, that your creative mind goes to that library and starts creating through your lens. So we are mm-hmm. what we see. We are what we know. We are what we have learned. That is, that, that is the bottom line. At, at the end, Ted, if you, I may follow, just follow up real quick sure. with that, it's yes. just yep. how, how and how talented are we to interpret those tools? And, and, other, and, and, the, and the most important thing is are you, how do you represent that, those thoughts and that creativity through the pencil, through your arm, through your hand, and pencil and paper, and create this, the thought that you have on your mind? really do uh, go out there and actually do it. Yeah, well said. Um, and, and I think really, you know, you want to be able to experience. I think really what you're doing through this whole process leading up to where you are now is, is gathering experiences, different experiences, to be able to, to tap into your own uh, artistic um, uh, creativity, if you will. And what, what's interesting, too, is... Um, what I find most, I think, impressive is, besides obviously the, the body of work that you've done, is the fact that you don't come from a golf background. So you have a very unique perspective. That, like you said, a lot of times, you know, most of the people that you've mentioned, uh, if not all of them, come from some sort of a golf background. And I don't mean just playing golf, but heavily, uh, you know, uh, entrenched in golf. And, you know, sometimes, again, you're, you're doing what you know. And so I think it's very refreshing that you're coming from a different background, obviously sports background, and there's a lot of different similarities in very many sports from one another, um, but you're looking at it from, a, again, slightly different lens, um, while at the same time you're sampling all of these uh, things within this industry uh, to be able to draw from at any time. So that makes you really a very unique architect um, in the grand scheme of things. So kudos to you for, for doing that. Um, I want to... Mention one thing before you're quite welcome before we go any further, because I know this is going to sort of fold into some of the things you're going to talk about. Um, you joined forces with uh, PJ Tour champion and, and golf channel analyst Brandel Chambly. You guys have sort of formed a new partnership that is going to help expand uh, your brand um, and its various collections and so forth. The Pisa uh, Chambly des- uh, golf designs. And uh, obviously, the two of you are working on a variety of different projects, both here in the United States and in Mexico. Um, obviously, I'm sure through golf and, and watching golf and that you knew who uh, Brandel uh, was and is. Um, how did that meeting sort of happen? How did the two of you sort of come together? Um, was this something he initiated? Was this you or sort of a mutual initiation? And, and how did this sort of come to be? Oh, this this was a beautiful relationship. We kind of like grew up, you know, kind of like I don't know if I can say love at first sight, uh, uh, but 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 very close. 
it was um, a mutual friend of ours, Matt Janella, introduced introduced us in Orlando by by chat. I was at the golf, I was at the channel, I was doing an interview, and and uh, Matt and I had a, had a quick lunch, and he said, "Ah, let's go, let's go uh, walk in, and, and 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 I'll show you around." I'm like, "Ah, great." So at that point, uh, Brandel was in there, and uh, and I, we got introduced, and and we just hit it off, you know, just chatting away, and. Um, and then we followed each other since then. This is I'm talking about uh, close to six years ago, and I right. and we follow each other on social media since then. So, uh, you know, three four years uh, went by, and I call him up a couple of years ago. I look him up, say, "Hey, Brandon, how you doing? You know, it's great, great to see you. Uh, hope you're hope you're well." I just opened my office in San Diego. I said because a year a year and a, a year ago, or last year, mm-hmm. excuse me. I opened our, our, our practice Pisa Golf in San Diego. So we're very happy about that. And I called him up and I said, hey, you know, uh, I, I opened our office in San Diego. I would love to, uh, you know, to chat with you and, and show you my work just, just in case that, that there's anything uh, uh, that, that you think might, might uh, happen out there. I would love a recommendation. And he's like, Augie, Augie, Augie. He's like, <laughs> he's like, come on, I've seen your work. You don't have to show it to me. I follow you on social media. And I think it's the most intriguing and cool work in the world. So he was like, he was being like super nice. But he's very authentic. He wasn't being nice. He's, he's one of the most right. authentic persons that I know, which I loved mm-hmm. about him. So it was mm-hmm. like, hey, so why don't we uh, uh, meet in Scottsdale? And it was uh, so it was kind of like a very cool approach, and he was and he was sharing with me how at 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 the Golf Channel he's you know he he's interviewed some of the best or been around with some of the right. best, and he's like, well, I don't, you know, you 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 know this, Ted, you know how bad how how just how good he prepares. And you've probably seen all oh, his yes. notepads somewhere behind the <laughs> television there. So right. he is a beast when it comes to organizing himself and preparing for anything that he does. So he's, he's telling me, like, hey, I love, I'm passionate about golf architecture, but I, do, but I know what I don't know. And I'm right. like, holy moly. You know how <laughs> many times I've, I have heard that in my career? Never. Right. That's where yep. I, that's exactly where I fell in love with him. I'm like, holy moly, come on. I mean, imagine just somebody telling you, somebody at that point of his career, arguably he's the most important microphone right now in, in golf. Sure, uh, yeah. And, and he's telling me, I, I know what I don't know. I was mm-hmm. really impressed by that phrase. And, uh, and that's when we really started to chat about, hey, I think we should do something. I think with that approach, it is a, a mutual respect approach. It is kind of like a, wow, you know, let me teach you this and let me learn this from you. He is such a great analyst, a great, yes. uh, you know, all, everything that has to do with stats is mm-hmm. it's crazy. So when you speak, when you hear him speak about dispersion cones and all of this, now I know all of this when growing up in the in the industry and in my and, and in my practice. But at the end, when you hear the the angles that he's coming in from, I really enjoy that. And I and and he definitely pushes me 
to become a better creative. So I think we complement mm-hmm. each other very well. And, uh, and yes, so we, so we uh, shook hands, gave each other a big hug, and, uh, and we've been working on a beautiful project called, uh, 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 called, called Desertica in the north of uh, Mexico, a beautiful mm-hmm. place where, uh, in the desert of Coahuila. And, uh, and we started working on that uh, together. So we're very, very, very happy of, about of doing this. We just came, uh, you know, we were just at the, at the open together doing uh, a little pop-up design uh, 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 session uh, for this project. So we've been, we've been very, very, very happy with everything that, uh, that, that Kim and I bring to the table. I think it's a very unique approach with, with the, with with what he brings and what I bring um, to this project, uh, I, I I really believe that we're going to uh, come out with a bang when it, once it's ready. Yeah, I, I think you're you're exactly right, uh, Augie. Because you know I I don't know you know uh, Brandel personally. I don't know him, um, but I obviously know of him and I've watched and followed him for for many years, both as a player and obviously as a a, a golf channel analyst and, and announcer. Um, but you're right. He he's very methodical and knows his stuff very well, and you know. So I can see where his input and I and I agree with you. I think the fact that he really and that's not always easy because I know, you know, for folks that are very well prepared like he is, not that's you know not an easy thing to come out and say. I you know um, I know what I don't know. You know, basically that's yeah. him humbling himself and saying, hey. You know, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm excited, I'm jazzed up about architecture, but, you know, I, I don't know certain things. So you, you, you do, you play off one another. He can provide certain, you know, details and information that is going to help expand what you're doing, and you're going to be able to help him on the other side of it and show him from a more creative standpoint and really sort of open his mind a little bit on the creative side. So it's, it's a great partnership. I, I want to ask you, speaking about uh, this project that you're working on, tell me about, uh, or, or the listeners rather, about the butterfly effect. I found this very interesting. Thank you, Ted. Yes, uh, this, this is a concept that I came up with, which is a, comes from the, inspired by the chaos theory. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's the butterfly effect, mm-hmm. chaos theory. Which means that how, right. you know, something so significant, so insignificant, excuse me, like a flap of a butterfly in the Amazon can create such havoc all the way, you know, this great energy to become a hurricane in Ca- or a tornado in Kansas, yes? So that's part of the right. theory of the chaos theory. And uh, uh, what, what, it, what it is, it is a... A, a, a four loop of six, if you, if you can imagine the wings of the butterfly, mm-hmm. it's four loops right. of six that uh, you can create any combination you want for 18 holes. Now, if you, if you remember the permutations, which if you don't have a, a, a fixed hole number one and any of these sixes can be a hole number one, you have, you have 24 permutations to choose from. Yep. This means that mm-hmm. in 24 days you will not play the same combination of of a golf course. So mm-hmm. why why we came up with this is because uh, uh, in the desert in uh, in Coahuila is a very sensitive place. 
So how can we create something that would mean kind of like a Morris less? By, by creating right. six more holes, we are creating 24 permutations, 24 ways of playing this course. In a week's time, you will not play the same course uh, uh, twice. You have a six-hole loop if you don't have time to play. You have a 12-hole loop. You will always have six holes, too, uh, you know, for corporate events or for a private outing. Right. And, and you still have the other 18 to play. You can play a mm-hmm. nine-hole loop, a, a 12, a 15, an 18, a six, a three, whatever you want. So all of this combination created a very, very ecological way of designing instead of creating the typical 27 holes or three loops of nine or, 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 right. or, or two, 36 holes of golf like you have on, on every resort. Uh, it is, you know, we, we're just creating a beautiful butterfly effect course uh, that that has 24 different ways of playing it, and uh, and it, it has never be, before been seen in the 500 year, kiss, years history of golf, and uh, mm-hmm. and we're very excited to to be designing it as we speak. Well, it, it's very, um, you know, I mean, creative is an understatement. It, it's very very forward thinking, really, because because you know. I like the fact that the versatility is endless. I mean, 24 options. I mean, most golf course, even company, uh, and I'm, again, not throwing, trying to throw anybody under the bus, but, you know, you go to no, no, places not. like Pinehurst, you know, Pinehurst or some others where they actually have nine golf courses. Um, you know, you're, you can play nine golf, and they're certainly great in, in their own right. But, again, what you're doing is really creating essentially uh, – with this butterfly effect or concept, if you will, uh, the option to play virtually 24 different golf courses. Yes. And no, we're, 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 yep. That, that's unheard of. You're right, exactly right. In 500 years of, of golf, um, that's never been seen before. And what, what yes. makes it interesting is the fact that moving forward using this type of con, uh, concept you know, especially when we're all, you know, trying to be respectful of the land and, and trying not to. This is really a, a new way or approach that, you know, future golf resorts can look at something very, you know, similar um, and not having to take up as much space as they would. I mean, if you had to build 24 different golf courses, it's taking up a lot of land. Very expensive yes, and well, a lot. So, right? So that's the purpose of it is to be able to offer that innovation and variety uh, of that type of magnitude um, without having to, you know, map out half, half a region. Uh, I mean, it's ingenious. That is exactly the yeah, – thank you very much, Ted. That was exactly the point. I didn't want to say it in that way, but, yes, it was actually also <laughs> done to disencourage any resort to come by and, 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 and place themselves right next to ours and develop another Cabo. We're not looking for another Cabo. Right. In, right. in, in Cuatro Cienegas, in the desert of Coahuila. We're looking for one mm-hmm. beautiful, low density, a place that respects mm-hmm. nature, that, that respect. Yes, we're right. going to have golf. Yes, it's going to be for the, for, for the use of mankind. So just, just, just with that, you know that we're coming in and altering and, and, and doing stuff to the land. I mean, that, let's not get too romantic on this. We need we right. just right. a matter of doing it right, Yes. 
Let's just do it mm-hmm. right. Yes. Let's just do it better than we know. What can we do? Let's think about this. Why? You know, again, the question about why and how. What is your objective? Okay, so my objective is to disencourage this, to encourage that, to support this, to create that. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what came up, the butterfly effect. And we're, we're very happy also to the extent of that now that we, now we have been hired uh, to build our second one, which is in Europe. I can't talk about it just mm-hmm. yet. But if you invite right. no, us in a, in a few months, uh, if you invite us in a few <laughs> months, uh, we will. And maybe we can even get Brandel on the call now that now that the uh, now now that the uh, that 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 the, the season open. is uh, unwinding a bit. Yeah. But um. Yep. But yeah, I mean, it, it, we're very happy that because of this uh, concept, the butterfly effect, we just got commissioned and hired to create our first butterfly effect in in uh, Europe, and and the beauty is that we're also coming up with a concept of of naming it as a butterfly from that region. So in the case of of Mexico, it's going to be the the monarch butterfly. But in the case of the region of Europe, it will be called the whatever butterfly that's in that region. So we're very happy that we can even name these for, uh, for, for each project. So imagine in a few years if we have four, five, six, or ten, they would be beautiful, you know. Have you played all the butterflies that are out there? I think, I think, it, I think it's just going to be fun. We we love also to have fun while be while while we're being very serious in our business. Yes. <laughs> well, it, 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 you know exactly. You've hit it right on the head. It, it's very, you know, again beyond creative and, and innovative because again, Thank you. you know we've seen sort of for for very a very very long time in golf we've seen sort of the status quo. Uh, we've seen the typical, and again, I'm not taking away from any other designers. That they're great in their own right, but we've seen a, a very similar pattern uh, with some variations. This is an entirely different concept that has never been done before. Um, that is obviously mindful and respectful of, of our natural resources, which is extremely important. And this really feeds into the next generations coming up of golfers. Um, you know, we're seeing as an example, just to you know, uh, um, I'm sure I'm not as statistical as as Brandel, but I'll, I'll give it a try. But, you know, we've got, as an example, we've got roughly 70 million, and I'm talking about just the United States only, but, you know, 70 million uh, baby boomers. Uh, and of that, you know, you've got millions of golfers. Um, you now have the millennials who are surpassing the number, the, the gross number of baby boomers by, there are 72 million in total, and 6.5 million of them are golfing so far. Now, there's, it's going to develop more and more. And they're looking for something like this. They're looking to get away from the status quo. They're looking to get away, and again, I'm not saying this is a criticism, but they're looking to get away from the typical country club or the typical resort. They're looking for something that they can gravitate. They want something that's fun and that's interesting and that's, you know, cool and whatever you want to, analogies you want to apply to it. So this really fits well into that wheelhouse of the next generation of golfers. And I think... Um, you know, you guys together collaborating on this, um, you know, to, to steal a baseball analogy, have hit a home run. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your kind your words. Uh, they are, you know, the, they they are filled with encouragement. And uh, and you know, when you when you when you're creative like when you create like this, it's always a risk. You're always putting yourself out sure. there. Sure. Uh, going back to the analogy of 
of the of the kitchens. No, if you're out there and you mm-hmm. and you're training, you play, and it, you're putting yourself out there. The 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 critic sure. has nothing to lose. The critic just arrives and says it's if it's good and thinks if it's good or if it's bad and reports if it's good or if it's bad. But the the person that was really out there was the creative. So I, yep. I, I I'm really why why I'm mentioning this is because of your words towards our work. This is something mm-hmm. that gives us back that energy to keep on pushing the creative boundaries, to keep on, you know, creating for, for the non-golfers, creating for the, you know, I, I, let's, let's design as we should and not as we can. That is something that right. is in our, in, our, in, our, in our DNA at Pisa Golf and, mm-hmm. and, and, and Pisa Chambly. Uh, let's do it. Let's do things for the correct reasons, you know. The other project that we're mm-hmm. pushing very hard for uh, is, is to create, you know, the first, uh, you know, TPC of golf for women. Brandel has all right. these statistics. He's been writing, writing about this for the past 10 years of how right. a golf course should be able to adapt for the top women players. They shouldn't mm-hmm. be. They shouldn't. They shouldn't be hitting. They should be hitting the same shot as the men do. So what does that mean? That we need to encroach the golf course to a certain extent from the neck down, not from the not from the feet. You know, right. uh, the, the adaptation is not by. It's not on the tee markers. It's on the second shot of mm-hmm. a par five. It's on the second right. shot of a short of a long par four. Mm-hmm. So exactly. it's very interesting, all of these statistics and, uh, you know, uh, that, that brand will be to the table in that regard. So we're pushing very hard for that. And you've probably known other, you know, we, we've spoken about the macro. Now, if we, mm-hmm. if, we, if we can also talk about the micro, which is our wellness golf concepts and all of these that, yes. that are less resource, more fun. I went to the other side as well. And, you know, mm-hmm. why not create golf? For the non-golfer, that's what we've been doing since 2018. Right, exactly. Please talk about that. Well, it's 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 the concepts of it, we created wellness golf. Now, I would invite everybody to hashtag wellness golf, and you'll find our projects there. It is it is about designing for your well-being. You know, maybe maybe you mm-hmm. want to take your shoes off and 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 and, and earth. You know, uh, and, and, and walk along, you know, the nice grass and connect with nature. Uh, stop and smell the coffee. So we created these areas that are smaller footprints uh, with less resources, more fun. And that the basics is we want a place where the grandfather can play with the grandson, the, 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 the mother yep. can play with the daughter or with the, or with the child, and, and forget and let's unlearn about golf. Let's go back. Let's forget about the stroke index. Let's forget about the handicap. Let's forget even about the scorecard. So we've created mm-hmm. these areas where you're just out there. Now, now you've seen, obviously, you've seen others that are, that are out there, but yeah, we've created these areas like at Chablis or, or, or the multi-purpose course in, uh, in, in, in Puerta Cortez in La Paz, Mexico. These are places that encourage uh, new players or players that have been that have felt intimidated by golf uh, to go right. out there and hit a few balls. This is what we I think mm-hmm. it's part of our obligation is to grow the game, but not from the teeth to the outside. You actually have to grow the game. 
let's really do something that changes this and really encourage to, to grow the game. I think it's very easy to talk about it. The difficult part mm-hmm. is to actually grow it. Well, I, I sort of bring it to an analogy um, of riding a bicycle. For instance, when you're a youngster and you first learn to ride a bike, you have what we call training wheels. And you sort yes. of get guided with that. Um, and then you graduate up to a little bit more skilled and, and you know, bikes that have multiple gears and mountain bikes and things. When you're teaching a youngster uh, about riding a bike, you don't throw a mountain bike in front of them or a 10-speed bike or a racing bike or what have you because they're not, it's, it's too challenging. It's too difficult. They have to learn and graduate their way into it. And I think you're exactly right. I think golf is, is a wonderful game, but I think it's very, for the average player out there that's never really been introduced to it, it can be very intimidating. I know as a teaching professional, I've taught for many years, um, and, you know, I get students, especially over these last couple of years that we're coming out of this, you know, uh, hopefully we're coming out of this pandemic, but, um, you know, a lot of new people have come to the game and they're saying, wow, you know, I mean, golf is challenging and golf is hard. So you're right. We need to find ways of making it less. Um, and that doesn't mean you get a, rid of everything traditional golf. It means you add to it. You add another option to oh. it. Um, and that's really what, what I think you're saying here is, hey, um, and, and that's where, and I want to lead into this so we don't run out of time, but um, I know that you're working on, uh, have worked on some things with uh, Golf Plus, um, uh, the virtual yes. reality, uh, and uh, the pit concept, you call it, uh, as well. Talk about that, because that's, again, another area of golf uh, that is fast you know, growing and, and coming out there. And it's, uh, it's, really entice, it's really enticing to a particularly a new generation of golfers. So go ahead. I love what you're saying, Ted, and thank you for that intro. I, I really, I'm, anything, and going back to what you just ended there, this does not fight with golf. I'm not trying to change the game. We're not trying to change the game. We're trying right. to complement it. This is, instead right. of having a one-way a one street, we're, we're, we're creating a fork. Take whatever lane you want. It is still the same, the same element. It is still has the same mm-hmm. heart, the heartbeat. It still has the same soul. It is still golf. It is, it is still mm-hmm. about the integrity of the game and hitting the less shots into the hole. That is, that is it. Mm-hmm. That is yep. it. Now, how you want to play it, if you want to play horse, if you want to do whatever, then that's another thing. But the integrity and the principles of the game are still there, and I don't think I, I do not foresee any change in that because I respect and love the game and the sport of golf so much that I would not dare to alter that. That is the spirit of the game. We're just we're just creating different avenues to enjoy the spirit of the game. Yeah, so you're, you're essentially what you're back, doing is you're, expa- you're expanding the game. You're expanding it is what you're doing. Yes, that's what we think we are doing and what we work for and strive for and passionate about it, yes. So now you touch the subject on Golf Plus, I'll tell you a little story. Imagine we're out there at the Open, and, uh, and it's uh, obviously, you know, uh, most people know that it was the 150th anniversary of the Open. It's a very special right. occasion in the home of golf in St. Andrews. We were lucky enough to have been invited over there, so we're out there, and I'm enjoying the, uh, the walking around, and I see 
the um, I, I get an email from Golf Plus with Ryan Horn, who he's a mastermind uh, behind the uh, behind the VR world in golf, and uh, mm-hmm. and and he called me up about two years ago saying, "Oh, he, uh, I, I love the pit concept that you created. <clears throat> the pit is a golf lounge that we created. I'll tell you briefly. It is if you hashtag the pit 2020, it'll come up immediately." Um, mm-hmm. It is a a grass sculpture that, by the way, you can play beautiful golf there, and all your shots, uh, trickle down shots, uh, bump and runs, lap putts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's a it's a playground. It, it was kind of funny because the 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 client it's in his in his private estate, and the client asked us for a green. He wanted a green, and then and then I got the stare from the wife, kind of like. Augie, you better not take up all the space. So I'm like, oh my god. So I was just kind of like in a, <laughs> kind of like in a in a pickle there. And I and I started right. to create this area that I said, okay. So I called I called the missus and I said, I'm going to create. You're going to open up your curtains and you're going to feel proud of what you see out there. I'm going to create mm-hmm. a grass sculpture for you, and a putting green for your husband. Will you be okay with that? She was like, oh, my God, awesome. Yes, that's good. And that's the principle of the pin. So, uh, so they're very happy. So they both open the curtain and they both smile, which is, uh, makes me a happy architect. And, uh, yeah, and that's, that's, not, e- that's, what it was that's not easy to do, Augie. That's not easy to do mm-hmm. either to, to please both of them. So, <laughs> no. uh, again, that uh, is- that's another, another check mark for you. Um, now, you've also <laughs> done I, – I, I know that you've done some work uh, – uh, for a lot of different organizations, and one particularly, and I happen to know the uh, the founder, uh, Dave Schultz. You've done some stuff with uh, Nextlinks. Yes, Dave Schultz is another mastermind behind entertainment golf. There we do. Right. Uh, it is. It is. I do like what he's done a lot because he's also captured the integrity of golf. So he's come up mm-hmm. with a laser, uh, you know, putting course. Uh, mixed mm-hmm. with a simulator. So when you play out in the simulator, what is the weakest part of the simulator? The, the chipping and putting, yes? So when you're yes. out there and you, you hit your, sec, your first driver on the simulator, is pretty accurate. Your second shot onto the green, if it lands on the green, how do you put it on the simulator? You really can't do it. So what he invented no. is this area... He invented this area that you just, you know, you just turn around 180 degrees and there you would have a putting surface with a laser pointing from where you have to hit it to where you have to make it. And, and mm-hmm. it connects with the simulator. So all of a sudden, you have to actually make that putt, which is brilliant. It's absolutely magnificent. Yep. So, yes, I do, I, I do work close with Dave Schultz, and, uh, and, and, and we have a few projects in the oven. I can't really talk about them now, but... Fingers crossed we will have a, a, a few surprises by the end of the year. So that, I know, that's with, yeah, with NextLink, yeah? Yeah, I know what he's, uh, some of the things he's working on with the uh, – I know what you've uh, designed and created for him. Um, you may recall a few months ago there was a cover on Golf Tips magazine uh, that they yeah. were featured on the cover. Do you recall that? Well, yeah, but that, that, that's for Indian Wells, yes? Yes. Oh, that yes. was for yeah. yes, 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 yes. 
so that that is still okay. in the works, and uh, and we'll see. Mm-hmm. So I, I that that stadium that stadium was created as well um, with the architecture of the Sands Brothers, who are beautiful beautiful architects from uh, from based in, uh, in in Barcelona and Cancun, Mexico. They're very good, very mm-hmm. talented. So if you if you go and see that article, I'm sure you're, you'll be you'll be you know amazed by the but what what was created there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, yeah. So you've got you, you've also been recognized as I mentioned by Forbes magazine as one of the top 100 inventive minds from Mexico, and as I, we've just talked about, Golf Inc. magazine also included you in their power. 2020 issue as an up-and-coming superstar how do you feel i mean obviously you're you're very proud of your work very passionate yeah. about your work um but how do you feel when is it important to you um to to see this recognition oh that is a good one uh before i answer let's not forget the top nine most innovative people in golf this year <laughs> from mm-hmm. from golf inc as well so, right. just to answer back, that is a very good question. When I'm designing, I'm not thinking of the awards. I, right. uh, obviously, I'm flattered. I, I, I take time mm-hmm. to breathe them in and savor them once they arrive. Uh, but, but my number one, I think that I am very lucky to, to have the mental... Uh, tranquility or mental savviness. I don't know how to describe it in English, to be honest, but, uh, you know, that I, we create things for the correct reasons, Tim. I think that right. when you create things for the correct reasons, authenticity comes, and then everything trickles down. I mean, even, even recognition, uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, money, whatever you want to put. I, I, I was never in this thinking that I was going to make anything or, or not make anything. I really, it's just a, a passionate, once you follow your, your, your path of passion, there's really no, no other thing that you think of. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, no, I, I, I don't think of them. I just know that, uh, that I am very confident in what we do. Uh, if, if you look at our website, there's no golf course, that looks the same. Sometimes people ask me, so what's your style? I'm like, we don't have a style. Style is nature. <laughs> we connect with nature. We dialogue with nature. We speak to nature. We caress with nature. And it speaks back to us. And we create a beautiful piece of art. And the style will come later. Yeah, and, and that's what I was alluding to very early on in our discussion tonight when I was referring to some of the other, and again, uh, not to take away from anybody else, everybody has their own style and approach to things, but that's what I was getting at is, you know, you know, Nicholas, for a lot of his projects, had a, a specific style that he worked for, uh, worked towards, and, and, you know, Tom Fazio and, and Pete Dye and all of these other uh, great uh, course uh, developers in that had a specific, you could always kind of tell when you saw, hey, that's a Pete Dyke or, or that's a Nicholas course or what have you. Um, you could kind of, you know, obviously uh, the late Arnold Palmer uh, design group as well uh, has put a lot of properties out there. But you could kind of, after a while, sense their style. Um, and, and I think this is what, what makes it very interesting about what you're doing is you're not really adopting a style. You're developing based on 
as you said, nature and 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 the, the specific needs and things like that. And then obviously, a style may develop out of it, but you're not really working to a style. You're working to um, the surroundings that are there and and developing it. It's it's basically as you said, it's like artwork. Yes, thank you, Ted. And it and it is. And like I said, we we take the risk, uh, you know, because we at the end we don't know what's going to come out. We just know that it's going to be quality work. We know that it's going to be, Mm -hmm. that it's going to have character. We know that. Those are two traits that we do work for. We know that it's going to be, you know, strategic, fun, uh, challenging, and and it will have character, as I mentioned. Now, the styles Mm -hmm. of bunkers, I don't know. The the styles of greens, I don't know. The, that's, those are the things that just, that just come out. You know, it's, you can't put the name on a book before you write the book, you know, right. uh, it, it will change, but it will change completely uh, after months and months of work. That title is not probably not going to work after you write the book. So it is to a certain extent, it's just an analogy of, of, of what we do. Another example that I can, that is probably, probably, you know, good to mention is, you know, you see a lot of styles right now coming back to the golden age of architecture. And that is another right. part where we take a little bit of risk because, you know, it is great. I love it. I think, I, think it's, I think the new golden age of architecture that's happening now, it's fantastic because, mm-hmm. you know, true, beautiful architecture from great architects is happening. I mean, just, just, just a few names, you know, just, you know, Kyle Phillips, you know, David Kidd, uh, to Tom Doak. You know, Corin Crenshaw. You have all these guys mm-hmm. creating beautiful things that don't necessarily come off from a celebrity, uh, you know, uh, major championship winners, etc. They're they're kind of like they're kind of like students of the game, like we are, and 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 are coming in and creating a very very beautiful statements out there in the world, and they believe in the golden age of architecture to a certain extent. To, to the extent that they that they look, you, if you look at their masterpieces, uh, you don't you can't tell if it's from 1925 or from or from 2025. Yes, and that's beautiful. I think it's great. Now, my point of view, I, I I love the golden age of architecture. I studied it. I walked it. I've read it. But maybe it's not the absolute best expression that we that golf architecture has has come to see maybe we haven't discovered it that's where i want Mm -hmm. to sit we're sitting in a place where we love what has happened but we want to discover maybe and we're sure that there's something better out there that we haven't yet touched yeah i and that's important i i agree 100 percent with you i think you always have to you know, I think if you, and this is unfortunately what has happened uh, for many years in golf uh, up until recently, is it stagnated for a long time. And that's why the game really hadn't grown is because all aspects, you know, from, from the development to uh, the teaching side of things, even the playing side of things, it really stagnated for a long time. And I think, you know, it became very challenging and very difficult for a lot of people. And I think now you're seeing sort of a, a fresh breath of air, if you will, coming into the game from all different aspects, but obviously particularly from your aspect, um, where people are saying, you know what, I think we can do more. I think we can do things that have never been done before and that are going to be beneficial 
not just for obviously yourselves, but for the game itself. We're going to grow the game uh, and continue to grow the game, but do it in a different way and make it obviously more inclusive, make it more accessible, and make it more fun. I mean, that's something that's been lost in golf for a long time is the fun part. Um, you know, I mean, we see so much technology rolling into the game, which is great, um, but it's also been presented some challenges, and it's a matter of finding the right tone, if you will, of how can we uh, appeal to a vast group of people and not just the typical status quo of the game. And that has not been an easy thing to do, but I think golf is slowly, uh, unlike many other uh, you know, areas uh, in, in life, um, is finally jumping on the bandwagon and say, you know what, we have to move forward. We have to, if we really want to grow this game, we have to take a, a, a new approach to it. And I think finally they're waking up. And uh, it's, a, it's a breath of fresh air, and, and you guys have done a great job. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you for putting me, me and that, us in that same table and that same train. Uh, I really appreciate it. And, and let's not forget, Ted, uh, or let's remember that golf is the maximum extension of any artistic expression known to mankind. Mm-hmm. There has never been a bigger park to design. There has never been a bigger area to express your artistic uh, uh, ways. Golf is that media. And yes. if we understand it, we can take it to the next level. I couldn't agree. And what a great way to end our segment. I hate to, to say it, but we've got we've to wrap up. Um, <laughs> Quickly, if you want to let the uh, folks know uh, the website that they can go and they can check out some of the great designs and get more information um, uh, on uh, your work and, and some of the things Ted? that you're doing, where can they go? Thank you. Thank you, Ted. I, I, you just got me started. What do you, what do you mean we have to go? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to come back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you come back for sure. Um, when you've got, you, right. You're going to have you some more things to share, and I'll have you come back for sure. Um, but yeah, um, yes, yeah, you've it. got some some great stuff. To but go ahead, what, uh, the website. Thank you. Yes, you can follow uh, Pisa Golf, P-I-Z-A Golf at anything you want, Twitter, Instagram, P-I-Z-A Golf, <laughs> and then uh, and then also Pisa Chambly, also on Instagram, uh, uh, Twitter, etc. And uh, you'll find us there, PisaGolf.com and pizzachambly.com, and it would be fantastic to see you in, in, in a couple of months, Dave, whenever the season's unwinding so that Brandel and I can hop on a, on a, on a, on a chat and, uh, and, you can, and, and you can have a taste of the science and art behind golf architecture. I would love that. We will definitely set that up for sure. But, uh, Augie, I want to thank you very much for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. It's been a pleasure. I've been I've enjoyed listening to uh, you talk about very passionately about what you do, and I think uh, you're on a, a great track and have obviously have enjoyed a lot of success um, and, and uh, well-deserved accolades uh, just thus far. And you, I know you've got a lot of other projects uh, in the horizon, and I look forward to uh, experiencing those as well. But uh, please, for sure, we will set it up for you to come back on, and we'll get uh, Brandel as well to, to join you and, and have the two of you uh, on together and, uh, and talk uh, – uh, talk about uh, more uh, uh, architecture, but also uh, we'll get some of the stats thrown in there from Brandel as well. But thank you very much for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. It's a pleasure. 
Thank you very much for having me. And, uh, and, and best of luck the remainder of the year. Have a great one. Thank you once again, Ted. Really enjoyed it. You're welcome. Thank you very much. All right, that was Augie Pisa, uh, award-winning architect. And, of course, as uh, we alluded to throughout the conversation, uh, he's in a partnership with Brandel Chambly, of course, from the Golf Channel. Uh, and together they're working on a variety of different projects. Unfortunately, uh, Brandel was uh, still over in, uh, in uh, Scotland uh, as a result of the Open and was not able to get back in time uh, on, on, this t- on this time zone to be able to do uh, the show, but uh, we'll look forward to having him on a future show. But on that note, again, thanks to John Decker on uh, Coach's Corner, and thanks again to tonight's special guest, uh, Augie Pisa. Um, I will see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody, and thank you for tuning in. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel, and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.